Howdy folks, it's time for the Matteo Trentin episode of Sigma Sports Presents, Matt Stevens Unplugged. Now, as well as being a flipping lovely bloke, he's also a former European road race champion, and he's got an absolutely fascinating accent, somewhere between Belgium and Borgo Valsugana. Uh, we talk about modern racing and how it's great for spectators, but perhaps not so great for the riders because it's flipping hard these days. He's been very influential in the drive to make racing safer for the riders on behalf of the CPA Riders Association. So lots more to be done there. And we talk about that. The RQG is back and fired up and ready to deliver. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, that's the random question generator. So pop on your favorite cardigan, tank top or even turtleneck sweater relax stick your feet on an appropriate piece of furniture or surface and enjoy the pod hello and welcome are you ready because it's that time again Matt Stevens unplugged by Sinus UAE Team Emirates Matteo Trentin is a powerful classics rider with a kick that puts him firmly in the sprinter category too. He's got a host of impressive victories in his Palmares, including stage victories at the Giro and the Tour de France, as well as the Vuelta. He's done them all, but his proudest achievement to date is winning the European Championships in Glasgow in 2018. Apparently, he just loves deep-fried Mars bars. Now he's an advocate for rider safety and takes his role very seriously, but what is his favourite cog? forward slash sprocket we get to the bottom of all the big questions in the next hour and a bit check it out so Matteo thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's really really good of you after a really busy classics campaign to take the time during your relaxation period to uh, to chat to us so can you tell us just for the listeners uh where in the world you are and what you can see immediately around you what what room are you in what's your view so currently I'm in Monaco, uh, so south, south of France to be precise. If I look on my uh, right side, I can see my television going on with the Netflix uh, kind of uh, series that my girlfriend is watching. Okay. <laughs> big, big mess from the toys of the kids. Okay. <laughs> on my left side, you can see like a coffee machine, bottle of oil, a little bit of uh, coffee capsules and basically the kitchen. And just behind me, it's uh, the terrace so with a little bit of sea view. Uh, quite windy, looks like. Trees are moving. Uh, but the sky is quite clear. So, yeah, nice day to stay inside. Good stuff. Good stuff. That was a very, I must congratulate you. That was a very, very good description. of. Uh, so everybody yeah, now can really sense where you are and they can relax uh, before ahead of the conversation so yeah I mean, you know i made a, i made a lot of uh, school trip in the in the bus so you know the guy with the microphone will say on your left you can see the computer <laughs> these kind of things maybe in the future mateo that could be a job for you you know as a tour guide what do you reckon yeah imagine no not really no okay <laughs> i can be the tourist yeah that's far 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 more relaxing mate but uh, no mateo you, you i mean just starting off i mean you've you've had a really good start to the to the year haven't you you've done a lot of you packed in a lot of racing already although it's been a difficult again a difficult challenging year we've still had a lot of races but when you look back on your kind of classics campaign for 2021 are you pretty happy because you've been one of the most consistent riders out there yeah let's say it was one of the Best in terms of uh, top races because I got two podium at the end, one in Gandevegem and one in Brabantsipel. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm not completely satisfied because a lot of uh, I, I don't like to call the bad luck in uh, in consideration because it sounds like an excuse. Yeah. But like in three races, so Flanders, uh, Harebeke, and Varagem, it was proper bad luck when I was, especially in Flanders, I was in the in the front group, so minimum I would play for a third place if it's. Uh, if if I will stay with that group, so for sure uh, it could be something more than what I, I really achieve at the end. Uh, but yeah, as you say, I was consistent. I was there, and even with the bad luck, except for Flanders, I always managed to come back on the on the front group. But of yeah. course, with this kind of cycling, you cannot you cannot have any single problem, especially in the Kobe Classics, as the yeah. race is so hard and so and so early. Also, we always start racing like seventy or eighty kilometers to go. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, as a as a fan of the sport and as somebody who's still involved and obviously I commentate on a lot of the races. So I was, I actually did commentate on, um, on Amstel, Brabantse and also again, Wavelgem. And, um, 
but also I'm a, I'm a big fan of the sport. And I've noticed over the last few years, especially maybe actually last two or three years, and we were talking before that you came on air, how differently the, the racing is these days. You've got these young riders coming in, but also the tactics are different. People are far more aggressive. The, the racing is, is it fair to say, far more explosive and difficult to control? Yeah, I mean, um, depending which side you're looking into the into the course, for sure, it's more exciting. Yeah. Uh, first of all, and also, uh, let's say the the normal script that was in the Born and Cancellara time is kind of gone. Yeah. So um, now with these young kids coming in, uh, especially they come from different disciplines. So they come from track, from cyclocross, from mountain bike, and they have this one and a half hour in the red zone. So they can they can really use it as a as a strength point compared to other riders who only come from uh, only come from road racing. So they maybe have more endurance, but but maybe they don't have this this capacity to stay to stay in the red zone for so long time, and and they like to be aggressive too. Yeah. So I have to say it's more exciting, and on my point of view, for me, it's it's a better way to race because it's more in instinct, it's more on uh, pick your moment, and it's more about uh, Tactically, it's become more difficult because then you really need to pick your moment good. You don't have your teammate around you. So if you take off quick step, they always have a kind of uh, strength in number. Uh, for all the rest, is like one by one, man, man vs. man. Yeah. And the thing is, I mean, a team like Quickstep, having you rode for them for for several years, isn't it? Blimey, it's from 2011 through to 2017. So, yeah. So you must... We know they're the best at what they do in one in one days. I mean, they've they've always, they always managed to do that. But I guess with that little bit of, in, although you wouldn't know what they're doing from one day to the next, you you're one of the riders that understands how they operate, don't you? I mean, having been there and done it with them. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, especially having done the classics so many years, and they always, you know, the team that everybody looking at. So, but the good thing of the classic is that even if the parkour change. Year by year, you know, small little new climbs or new approaching. There are a few races like, for example, E3, where you know you need to be in the front at a certain point. And if you are not yeah. there, then your day is a chase day. So it's not only them, of course, but at the end of the day, most of the time they dictate at least when the race explodes. Yeah. And then it's up to you uh, to decide where to go, how to do, and how to pace yourself through the race. Yeah. I mean, we've talked, I want to talk a little bit more about, about these kind of new new riders coming in. And I, I saw on Instagram a couple of days, a couple of women a week ago, you said that you felt really old and you're only, th- God, you're only 31, <laughs> you know, but, yeah. but you seem to be, um, you've been very consistent, as we said, but you seem like you're having fun when you're racing, you know, uh, and then when, when you broke away in Vrabansa Pali the other day, you went solo for maybe 15 Ks or something before you got caught by... Uh, by Wout Van Aert and, and Tom Pidcock, but you, and at the, at the finish, you were, although you, of, of course, you'd want to win, but you, you, you still came third. You seemed like you were having great fun r- racing your bike. And that's really, really important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I said before, racing like this is more exciting. So I feel more like uh, when I was racing as an amateur in Italy. So the race is controlled until a certain point. When, and when the race explodes, you, if you are one of the best riders, then you, you find yourself in front and then you just keep racing. And sometimes it was happening in the past and that was the kind of race I liked the most yeah. because it's just about legs and about also instinct and, and tactic. Uh, and at the end, I have to say in Brabantzapel, but also the same it was in, uh, in Gambevegem or also in other races, even even E3 uh, before I got a flat yeah. tie. It was just pure racing. And I think it's nice. As you say, I'm also like a, a fan of cycling and and being there also with these phenomenal kids in the front uh, is a good thing. Yeah. I mean, and what would t- talk us about, talk to us about the, the finale of uh, Brabant's pod? Because you, you clearly really read the race very well. I mean, that race and Amstel, although Amstel was on a different course, um, that course in Brabant's pile, it lends itself to racing at the front you kind of can't wait can you you if you go on the offensive okay you have to invest and spend a bit more energy but that is the place to be at the front of that race isn't it yeah i mean when i when i went solo it was just a, a matter of uh, occasion like we rode back pretty pretty easy not easy but pretty fast on the on the counter attacker with the uh, vote and uh and Pitcock. and then one moment they were Actually, the, the guys in the we split it again straight away. So the guys who was in the counter attack, they were actually looking at us, 
And it was just a moment where Tom was sitting in the back and it was just me and Bolt swapping in the front. Yeah. And he just left my wheel and I found myself when I turned back and I look and it was uh, actually it was publicity on the TV, I think. <laughs> right. So I just looked back and uh, and I got this 20, 30 meter advantage and to my mind was, okay, is everybody just looking at them too? They're probably too too strong on the next climb, so people are going to sit in their wheel. And then if I get 40 seconds, they don't see me anymore, and it's going to be really hard to, to ride it back, even if it's, if it's them too. Uh, they're going to drop them on the on the next cover climb. And it went like this, yep. except for the fact that everybody was riding behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was a spectacular race to watch, and uh, you know, it's just it's just great to see riders enjoying what they're doing because it's such a brutally hard job. I mean, how have you um, adapted to the way that the racing has changed? I mean, clearly you've you've changed teams. You come from CCC to UEE, but you've clearly the UEE set setup. Um, we, we saw yesterday, of course, Tade take uh, take his first monument um willing the A's bashed on the A's but there seems to be a really really good spirit within the team and you seem to have fitted in really really quickly How, how's that kind of happened it must be a good kind of what kind of makes that what, what kind of makes a team how, how you know you've kind of managed to infiltrate the team really really easily how how can you explain that to me because it seems like you've just haven't batted an eyelid you just come straight into it and have been racing at a really high level uh, first of all, uh, I have to say we are only four or five new guys in the team. Yeah. So actually, the, the the main part of the group is already there from from few years. Ago. So I got few friends already there. So people I knew, people I was racing with uh, in the past. So we just find again in the same team. Yeah. And actually, I, I'm quite social as a person. So I like I like to sit in the group. I like the group spirit. I like to have a team who's was not only you know colleagues who race together, but it's it's also friends at the table. Yeah. And when you sit on the table and you have a, a good conversation, not only about cycling but about anything, and you have a good laugh, and and you and you actually had to leave for going to sleep without being bored. That's a good atmosphere in the team. Yeah, and it's not so easy to to have, but when you have this, then it's it's something that got over over the race day, you know. Uh, even in the bu- when in the bus you, you chat about anything and and you have a good time with your teammates is always good. Yeah, no, you can. It's it's just it's a very very important thing to have, and it can for some teams especially it can take quite a long period of time to kind of for riders to gel. But it it seems for you when again when you look at your results this year they've been very very consistent. Obviously you're lacking that win, but uh, you clearly feel very happy and very very settled within the environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. That's true. Uh, I think we got also. Let's say we got like a clear, a clear goal for for the classics. With yeah. uh, even even with this difficult time, we got we got the luck to have a kind of uh, preferred corridor to do some preparation race. So and the group of the classic was more or less always in the same uh, in the same races. So me and Alex and the group of the classic, we almost do the whole calendar was everybody together. So that's also helped to to be more connected with the guys you you are racing with. Okay. I mean, I want to rewind a little bit and go back to when you first started racing. Actually, I, I was, you talk about cyclocross. You you were G- Italian junior cyclocross champion, weren't you? Yep. So uh, any any plans to maybe do a little bit of cyclocross just to fine tune your skills? Uh, except for 2020, I always did a couple of races of cyclocross through the winter when I go home for Christmas. Okay. Uh, I always do a couple of races that friends organize, you know, still from my, from my youth time. So regional races, uh, where I was going to race when I was a kid. Yeah. And it's always nice to, to find back, you know, uh, friends, old friends that you never see in the whole year. Uh, so I hope this COVID finally is gonna, gonna let us do what we like to do. Uh, yeah. for this year I had to skip it. They did yeah. the race, but to be honest, uh, the fact to go on the race and maybe just sit in my car, uh, don't have the possibility to hang out with the people and wasn't wasn't really for me so i i decided to, to like quit this year for the cyclocross and maybe give it a go again next year good stuff good stuff um so what's your first memory then of of riding when did you how did you get involved in in bike racing can you remember the first time as a kid you, uh, you rode a bike so actually in italy you can you can start to uh to go for uh, kids racing when you are seven Okay. So I started at that age, basically because I was a disaster on the bike. 
uh, I, I was all, I was always on the ground. So okay, <laughs> uh, with my parents, uh, uh, the house of my parents is really close to the uh, multi-sport center in, in our hometown. And yeah, one day we pass over there, and there were the, the bike team Velocicle Borgo is the name okay. of the of the team of the town, and we just my father went there to ask if I could ride the bike uh, to try, and they always give you know this uh, at the time it was like probably iron bikes, probably was, was heavier than my bike now, <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and you start racing like this, and it was a nice group of friends. Uh, you race uh, basically regionally a little bit. Being the re- our town being uh, like really close to the border of Veneto, a lot of time we went to race in Veneto, but you know it was like a really, a really nice time, like just a bunch of kids having fun on the bike. Yeah, and at that point, um, when did you start to think or maybe dream that you were going to be a professional bike racer? Did that come a little bit later, or did you? Did oh, you... really late. Yeah. So, so when so when was that? When did you think? Yeah, that I could do this. I could do this as a career. Uh, actually, it was when I was in university. So I I did like three years in Verona studying sports science at okay. university. Um, so it was when I was like uh, the first three years was when I was under twenty three. Uh, oh, I did two years when I was more into university life. So basically, not study but just partying. Yeah, and I was okay. only doing <laughs> I was only doing cyclocross in in a kind of. Uh, professional way so i was really into training and racing and this and that yeah. but on the road race i never really give it a go uh, properly like i was more like going to race to prepare my cyclocross winter and blah 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 and third year under 23 i just say okay uh, i only have two years so it's better i move my ass off and and try to make it to make it professionally or, or try to make uh, cycling as my my job yeah if it doesn't work i can finish university do something else so I start really training, let's say, in a serious way, third year under 23. Wow, that, that's, that's and, and it, and it worked, and it yeah. worked pretty good because I turned professional one year after, one and yeah. a half year after. Wow! So it's that's that's when you look at the riders these days. I mean, um, that's that's relatively late coming into road cycling, isn't it? I mean, uh, by any comparison. Uh, at that time, at that time was normal because uh, if you see that the professional Italians from my age. They all turned professional in 2010, 2011. Okay. Uh, some guys also 2012. Okay. So at, th- at that time it was normal. Uh, these days it's not normal anymore. Like uh, a lot of guys, more and more, they skip the junior category, the, the under 23 category from junior. They jump already in the professional. But you can see the difference. Like as I told you now, uh, I start to train properly when I was third year under 23. Properly is mean I got a heart rate monitor. Before that, I didn't get, I didn't have even that one. So right. now they come with heart rate and power meters, and they know more than what we know about how to use it, how to handle the training and food nutrition and blah blah blah. I didn't start anything of that before third year under twenty-three. Wow. I mean, I guess. Um, I mean, who did you have any? Any inspiration from, um, and was there somebody you looked up to in sport or was it purely, were you just like, this is going to be me, I, I, I want to turn pro now? I mean, because a lot of riders, when they're very young, they want to emulate their heroes. I mean, were you immersed in cycling culturally? Was it something that you kind of were, were a fan of or was it not quite like that? Uh, of course, uh, kids from my age, they, in Italy, they all grow up with the myth of Pantani. Yes. And and being and of course being uh, being in Trentino for us the the myth was Simone, of course the Pantani yeah. enemy. So <laughs> yes. So of course yeah. these two these these two riders was the rider you were looking in in the Giro mostly, uh, and of course it was the time of Cipollini and Petacchi too, and. Yeah. Uh, th- this kind of riders were the, the Italians more because of course you can you can also look on the. It was like the beginning of the year of Bonin, but, but mostly you were looking at the Italian rider. And for sure, Pantani, Simoni, and Cipollini and Petacchi were the, were the prominent at that time. Okay, okay. But ultimately, you uh, went to a Belgian team, didn't you? In, uh, in August 2011, you went to uh, the legendary you know, Quickstep team. So as a, as a young guy, having only kind of raced for like a year, and you, know, you, you obviously were very successful early on, what was it like going into a team like that? That must have been amazing, an amazing experience for you. 
Yeah, of course. Uh, imagine uh, passing like actually from a, from a regional or maximum national calendar because in Italy we we don't go like the GB team to to race abroad to go you know in other country to race. There is yeah. plenty of race in Italy, and especially at that time we got like the GB team, the Russian team, the Australian national team, uh, Mexicans. A lot of a lot of nations decide to to have like a house in Italy and and bring their the best riders to race in the race we do. So we never got the, not nor the opportunity, but not the need to go to race abroad. So for me, it was already starting, oh, wow. First race in Belgium, second race in, uh, in Germany, third race in France. So it was already kind of more gypsy life compared to what I was going. Yeah. Uh, or I was used to have in the past. Yeah. I'm just looking at the team now. Uh, Tom Bonin, Chavanel. Uh, Devonans who was, was there, Stegman's, Stebar, uh, was still Nikki Terpstra. It's just amazing, you know, how many, how many yeah. riders uh, have got, had like long careers, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, was actually, but that was the, the, the core, the core group for the classics. Yeah. And, and starting from 2012, it, it lasts for a long time because yeah. all the names you, you say is they, at least from 2012 to 2016, it was it was actually me and Chavanel were the only two not Flemish riders in the in the group. Yeah. And sometimes Tony Martin in and out was Tony. Yeah. But for the rest was as you know, Mickey was the only not Belgian, and for the rest it was all all the all the big Flemish guys. Because you, you're uh, it's wonderful when I speak to you. I want to hear you speak because you have a obviously you speak exceptionally good English, but you're Italian. But you, you almost have a bit of a Flemish accent in there. Well, when you talk English, it's really you can tell you've spent a lot of time in Belgium. Yeah, yeah, it's not the typical, it's not the typical Italian accent. No, that's, it's, that's what what how, what was your relationship like, if you don't mind me asking, with, with Patrick Patrick Lefebvre? Because obviously he's a in an absolute legend. How did you get on with him in the early days? Oh, quite quite good, quite good. I have to say, uh, in, he didn't approach me before. Uh, before I mean, before I signed the, the first day I, I saw him when it's when I signed my, my contract in, in Quickstep. Uh, but it's he's a really good guy, he's a clever guy, and also you can see he can uh, he can always build a really good team, uh, even even if it looks like he's not. Yeah. Uh, the the really good thing of Patrick is that how he can build a team together and how he can motivate every single person in his team, not only the athletes, starting from the from the guy who's taking care of the service schools to the sport director to the riders. Yeah. And that's that's actually the, the strength of Quickstep is also having him on the on the top. Yeah, he he really is a phenomenon. I mean, year on year on year, regardless of uh, the kind of financial situation, he. Does instill? He's got that consistent ability, hasn't he, to ins- seemingly inspire all the riders, but not just one or two of the big, the bigger riders, the more famous riders, but everybody within the team. It is quite incredible. I mean, when yep. you look back um, at your career so far, and, and you know, you're still only 31. Hopefully, you got you know quite a few years left in the peloton. What's been the biggest change um, in the peloton and, and the way that that um, uh, as a professional rider you've gone about things? What's what's the biggest? The most biggest difference since you started to now? Uh, pro- probably the professionalism of every single rider in every single team. Yeah. Because when I when I first turned pro, for uh, for the numbers, uh, how do you say, like uh, for the nerds of numbers, yes. with 400 <laughs> watts in average, you can win a time trial. Now with yeah. 400 watts in average, you go out of time cut. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's it really changed a lot because uh, actually. I, I remember Alex Dowsett put a picture on Twitter a few few weeks ago or a few months ago of himself winning a time trial with a horrible position and horrible garments. It was horrible to see. Yeah. And and he could still winning a time trial like this. And if you see how the proper pure time trial is racing now, it's like a Formula One now and a Formula One from the seventies. It's yeah. It, and we're it only is. talking about eight or nine years. Yeah. It's, it is it is amazing just to just to watch and like, like you said you came in having just used a heart rate monitor and coming into using power but it is it is absolutely astonishing have you changed the way that you have had to approach things I mean what about your training when you look at back I'd imagine it has changed but how much year on year do you you've got obviously your sports science degree so you I'd imagine you understand exactly what's needed but have you had to change your training much to adapt with the way that they're racing now uh, no because 
coming from a cyclocross background, more or less this changement for me is just is plus. Actually, if you see if you see my rise through the years, I start really stepping up properly from when this change coming. Yeah. So uh, this this kind of style of racing is more um, is more actually glued on my on my characteristic. So basically, my my way of training was more or less this one, and of course with this new, you know, also new studies coming in, people looking more into sports science and scientists and research and stuff, and of course you you're really training more into details. Yeah. Uh, some, sorry, I could hear something on the line. Oh, what's this? Random question alert. Oh. Random <laughs> sorry, Matteo, we've got a. Random just... question alert. <laughs> It is time for a random question. Right. Um, okay. We've got a random question for you that's just come in Good. from our random question generator. I'm sorry about that. This might happen throughout the podcast, so I do apologize. Perfect. Perfect. Um, I, I love them. Here we go. This is pretty random. I've never seen this question before, Matteo. Um, do you believe in aliens? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Maybe Pro- probably this this year in the classic there were an alien putting my flat tires. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! That should uh, be life somewhere. The universe is so big that probably they're gonna be they're gonna be a, a planet with some other people. Yeah, I, I agree. I, if, if I I'm going to answer the question as well. I, I do believe in aliens. I mean, I've, I've no evidence, but yeah. It's just the universe is so vast, isn't it? There has to be some other life form. It can't. We can't just be alone, can we? No, no, no. For sure, no. Are Are you? Have you ever seen a UFO? No, never. Ne- no, de- de- no, no. Not even two two a.m. after a long party. No. no. <laughs> well, this isn't randomly questioned. This isn't a random one. This is just me. So, from UFOs, have you ever seen Matteo? Have you ever seen a ghost? Not even that. No. No. I've no, never. that's I don't believe. I don't believe in ghosts. No, okay. Well, that's good. So aliens, yes. Ghosts, no. Fine. Okay, that, yeah. that's absolutely... I'll tell you what you do believe in, and it's very, very important, um, rider safety, because that has been yeah. a real hot potato. Uh, over, well, over the last couple of years, really. It always is at the forefront, but it, the, the, sh- the spotlight, as we know, has been shone on. And we've got these new... From April the 1st, we had these new kind of regulations um, put in. What are your current thoughts, Matteo? Because obviously you've headed up... You've obviously worked with the, the CPA, um, representing the riders. I mean, what are your current thoughts on what's been done so far? You know, I know we've got improved barriers. They've obviously banned the super tuck, which is really controversial. There's the bottle issue. What are your thoughts um, at the, on the current situation? Uh, I think we did... In the meeting we got with UCI, uh, we put on the table a lot of good proposals. But then, for the moment, I have to say I'm quite disappointed for what's coming out. Okay. Because it was, uh, for the moment, we see like a lot of uh, fines and controversial decisions against the riders. But I still see in the races a lot of things has not done properly well. And I didn't see any fine for the organizer. So... I mean, I, let's say we are on the beginning of the process, but the real beginning of the process. It's a ring, uh, still a really long way to go, especially in terms of um, uh, how we need to do the things. Like, yeah. it, it needs to be automatic. It doesn't have to be recalled every second day. Yeah. And uh, do you enjoy that, that side of things? Obviously, you've taken it upon yourself. And I know you've been quite open in... Um, in your criticism to a degree of some some riders in the peloton because uh, who aren't really aware they say things on on social media then they clearly haven't really been aware they've been given the choice uh, being aware of all the rules and regulations I mean would you like to see the peloton themselves a little bit better educated and taking a bit more a bit more of a stand and being a, maybe a little bit more proactive Yeah, for sure. The, the more the more we are together, the more we we raise our voice together and not against each other but against yeah. a, a proper cause. So having having safe race for us, because it's our job, uh, the more we're going to achieve in terms of Peloton. And it's not yeah. only for us. It's for us, and it's going to be for the generation to come. Yeah. Because the problem that we have nothing is before is because before us, uh, sorry, because I know you're a former rider, yeah. but it's also because before us, nobody did anything. Yeah. So um, before con- going into this... Uh, 
this safety thing uh, I told with some other guys from other sports and other sports are have like books of regulation about safety of the athletes yeah. in cycling the books of regulation was oh, if you crash take your bike and go we don't even check if you are good so yeah. it, we are really like in the prehistoric era in, in terms of safety for the riders yeah. and you can see in the races like uh, we came uh, we came from uh from the classics in Flanders, and I have to say, Flanders classics as organizer really made a good job. Yeah. And we came into Amsterdam. To be honest, there were only one point which should be into a safe that the descent of the tower, and it was a complete mess. Just everything was there, just as it was before. And the good thing is that now I was not the only one noticing it. It was a lot of riders who called our uh, representative. Uh, of the CPA to go to the organizer to ask to have some changement. And it was easy changement because like, except a couple of things that probably it was too late to, to put in safe, at least in a, in a really safe way. The rest was changed in no time. So it, it just that in terms of uh, nobody is ever thinking about that. Things are the same as where you were racing. Yeah. Same barriers, same, same things. And as it, and we say before, we go faster, and especially the bunch is always bigger. Like, think about Paris-Roubaix. My first Paris-Roubaix, that's also different. Yeah. We came to Arenberg. We get off Arenberg, and it was only, you know, 60 riders. All the rest was finished. And now you come off Arenberg, it's under 20 riders. Yeah. So you cannot think anymore about, we do one climb, a down and finish, it's going to be only one guy, two guys, because they're going to ride full guys to climb, and, and the difference is going to be massive. Now, uh, you, you can see on every climb, nobody dropped. Yeah. It's a group of 20 on the top. So if you do a downhill finish, you need to be sure that that downhill is good for 20 riders, not for one by one. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of change then, I mean, what would you like to see? I mean, I know it's a really interesting phrase that you use almost you're in prehistoric times compares to other, other sports. So essentially it's the modernization of, of, of the safety issues, isn't it? You're getting it. Um, is that what you kind of want more of? What, what do you, what, what, change do you want to see i think the biggest change in in terms of cycling safety it will be to have a commission that evaluate the parkour before the race happen okay and to have a person who's in charge of this but it need to be an expert not yeah. someone that is there uh because even even our cpa delegate they do it as the best as they can but probably that there should be uh a figure in cycling that should be to go for training in motorsport, to train himself in skiing, in speed skating, in, uh, in sports that safety is a priority. Yeah. To know what's happening in other sport, to know how to act, to go to industries to product barrier from barriers to uh, even to road furniture. Yeah. To actually make it as safe as possible. Of course, cycling is an outdoor sport and we are due to roundabouts and uh, road furniture. We yeah. cannot control every single thing and nobody asking for that. Yeah. But what we need to do is do everything as at best as we can to avoid the uh, Tour of Poland, Jakobsen crash too. Of course, yeah. And it was really close in France already. So yeah. it means that one year apart, nobody even learned anything. Yeah. No, it's uh, it is interesting, and it's but it is going to take time, isn't it? And there's, there's yeah, it's involved. not it's not a change, it's not an overnight change. Exactly, but, but, but with a good will, you need you you need to will to do that. Yeah, and everybody need like organizer riders and especially UCI because it's the only is the only uh, organism who can legiferate. They can, they do the rules for cycling. So yeah. if they do the rules and they also the controllers. So if someone make it bad, it's not only the riders, it's also the organizer. And sure. For the moment, it's only against riders. At the moment, it's the easiest way to, to put a point. But I think is, there is a lot of things that need to be pointed out. Yeah, there certainly is. There certainly is. But it's, it's, it's good that you've kind of taken, taken a stand because it's, uh, it's long overdue, as you say. It's, just a, it's a shame that there has to have been somebody nearly, well, We've had fatalities in the past in our sport, yeah. as we know, but it, it, it's a shame that it has to taken somebody, you know, who's been critically injured before action's taken. It's about being preventative, isn't it, and reacting before than, than reacting afterwards. That's the key here, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and with yeah. this, I don't, I don't say organizers are good persons and they do it because they don't care about our safety. But it's, uh, you know, if you grow up your whole life 
as an organizer to don't look at certain things. Uh, one moment you need to accept that someone come to you and say, listen, we need to do it this way. Yeah. And because it's better like this. Yeah. Uh, and this, the, this is the, the missing ring in the process for me. Sure. Uh, even for even for the riders, I know that uh, the, the super tough band is controversial, and I wasn't in uh, in agree with with the banning. But at the end of the day, we need to look at the bigger picture, and, and I think at the end, nobody nobody missed something. I mean, yeah. it, it's a rule for everyone. Yeah. Um, so if maybe someone miss a little bit of advantage, but at the end, you can find other position to to go faster the downhill and a little bit more safe. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, change the subject entirely. If there were to be, Matteo, um, you had a big budget, a sponsor came to you and said, Matteo, we want to make the Matteo Trentin Classic race. Where would it be? What would the course be like? Ha! Huh. Where? <laughs> uh, for sure. I don't know, because I always love to win Strade Bianche, but it's too hard for me. Right. So I would probably make a Strade Bianche myself edition. Yeah. So a little bit more cl- less climbing, maybe a little bit more long, uh, and put it like completely to to my needs because it's a it's a super nice race. Yeah. But fairly speaking, I don't say I cannot win, but I need that everything need to be completely straight that I can win that race. Yeah. So you think it'd be like a long, maybe two hundred and fifty k gravel. But maybe climbs a bit more like Flanders than than than, than Lombardy or, or Liège. So so smaller climbs, but more gravel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the, maybe a bit longer race than, than last night to be two fifty. It can be two twenty. Okay. So already forty k longer than now. All all the climbs we are in are good, except yeah. the Tolfe. Okay. And, <laughs> and the final. Okay. Okay. That'd be great. I, I just think it's a nice question. It's a, just a nice question. I mean, um, would you like to be in, involved? What do you want to do in the future, Matteo? Once you, let's hope no you've got a, a lot. Of, you haven't got any idea. You're just gonna, no idea no. at all. No, not now with my with my girlfriend. We have a company who's uh, who's doing uh, bike experience. Okay. Uh, actually, exclusive. Oh my god, English. Exclusive bike experience. Okay. Uh, we're doing not many. In a year, just a little bit. We did some something for uh, for big uh, for big clients like uh, some banks or insurance, but it's uh, but it's something we are working on for for the future and also and also into ski. So she was a professional skier. So yeah. we have a double sport summer winter. Of course. So do you ski much yourself uh, when you can, or do you? I do a lot of cross country skis okay. for training in the winter. Uh, downhill ski, not much. This year, I have to say, I, I did a lot of uh, mountaineering because, okay. of course, it was snowing a lot for the first year in a while, uh, and it was just beautiful. Just uh, our house in Italy is literally on the on the mountain. So first day, we really took the skis off the garage, put them on the ground, and start from there, right. and it was really nice. Right, right. No, I, I, I do. I'm a, I'm a big fan of skiing. But like I said to you before when we came on. Um, I've never skied since I was a kid because of the cycling. I didn't want to injure myself, you know. So uh, that, but one day I, I shall, I, I shall, uh, I, I shall start skiing again, definitely. Yeah, but the, t- the difference is that you are from England and we are from the mountains. Of course, in my region, who doesn't know how to ski is not. <laughs> they lose yeah. a passport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was, yeah, pretty, pretty. Actually, I did my first. Uh, we did a. We were in Austria. I can't remember. I can't remember exactly where we were skiing, but um, I won. We did a slalom at the end of the week, and I won. Me, my sister won her race. You won I won slalom. my race. So, so, yeah, cool. um, my, my, my first ever. It's only for young kids, you know. Like we were just beginners, but yeah, I won. Yeah, won, won be, my only race is a. Yeah, you never know. You never know, mate. But um, yeah, I mean, how do you like to relax then? Okay, not skiing, not cycling. How do you relax, Matteo? And, and can you tell us something? about yourself that you like to do that maybe you haven't told anybody else before something a little bit oh, unusual about oh. yourself yeah uh oh normally when i'm home i like to i uh, like to relax with my kids so okay. bring, bring them to, to the park or when we are in italy in the trees to, to have a walk or to play with them in general yeah and um, to the sea like in monaco we are lucky to have a 
sea just next to us. So I yeah. really like to swim. Yeah. Uh, not even in the summer, even if I'm training. A lot of time I go to the we go to the to the sea and I like to do my 20 minutes swimming. Probably 500 meters, so pretty bad. And I like I like to do that. And barbecuing is oh, also yeah. something I like to do. Okay. I do like a nice barbecue. What what, what would be uh, what's your favorite to put on the barbecue? Then are you kind of is it beef or is it is it lamb, chicken? What's your what's your favorite thing to do on the barbecue? Oh, actually, beef is always really good. But if you come if you come to my region, the actually the king of the barbecue is always the pork because ah, okay. you have sausages and uh, oh, I don't even know. There is not a translation. Is it, and, is, it uh, is it like boar? Is it like wild boar you have a lot of in, in that area? No. In Tuscany, there's a lot of boar, isn't there, they eat? Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't have it in my region. Actually, we have more like deers uh, okay. and this, this, kind, this, kind of, uh, this kind of animals. Okay. Like uh, wild animals is more like deers and these kind of things. Okay. But we normally do like goulash. Oh, yeah. So that's also really good. Um, and then we have like kind of hamburgers, but made from from a pork uh, pork meat. Then it's called pasta de Luganega. Okay. So if you ever go to my region, order this. Then we do rabbit with uh, polenta, uh, ribs, uh, actually pork uh, stinko. It's like oh. pork leg. Uh, okay. Okay. That's made in the oven. Then there's some so really we have, lot, we have a lot of choice. Yeah, I mean when I've been. Uh... Yeah, in Italy, I'm in Italy quite a lot. But when you head to to your to your kind of region, or, or you head into the mountains, the food really changes, doesn't it? There's a lot more polenta. Yeah. There's a lot more, like you say, gamey type of meat. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really hard to get pizza as well because I like pizza. It's really it's no. a little bit. It's a little. Sometimes it is a little bit harder. But the men, the menu is just different. It's nice. But I do like polenta. Polenta is really nice. That's can yeah. be a speci- speciality in, in Trentino, can't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Pol- polenta is one of the actually is the base of our diet. Yeah. No, it is. It's. Oh, hold on. I think we might. Oh, we've got another question coming Random in. Matteo, sorry about this, mate. Oh, 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 the first one was interesting. Random question <laughs> Okay. It is time for a random oh. question. Okay. Right. Um. <laughs> this just. Okay. I, I didn't write these, Matteo. So please don't sue me. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. What's your favorite cog? So basically, what is your favorite sprocket on the back of the 16. bike? <laughs> 16. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you just you didn't even hesitate. That was like straight no, away the 16. That that's my that's my 5316. It is a good gear. I mean, I would agree actually because it's not too hard, but you can train on it really nicely, like level 2 kind of thing, can't you? And you can go pretty quick on a 16, can't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. But imagine like I got like a, a nightmare when uh when we change in Quickstep, we change from uh, SRAM to Shimano. Yeah. So of course every every brand build their own cassette in terms of uh, what they think is the best. So Shimano didn't have the 16. Right. Uh, for, for me, for me, it was a nightmare. I had to race with a 25 cassette like the good old days. That was the only cassette with the 16 in. So <laughs> every time I could, I put the 25 cassette on my on my bike. Yeah. So how are you kind of? Uh, because you're riding uh, Camp- Campagnolo at the moment, aren't you, With uh, yeah. on your Colnago? Um, yeah, but then I, fu- I found a way. You found I a way. I raised the 54 in the, fo- in the front, so even if the 16 ah. is missing, then the 17 is good. Ah, okay. So, yeah, oh, right. So, because that, that it, is, it is interesting, because when I was racing, I mean, when I first started racing, we only had six sprockets at the back. Then it went to seven, obviously eight, nine, ten. But I used to, and then the ratio in the, in the, the sprockets was a lot more narrower. So, when I was racing, as a pro, like two thousands kind of time, we would have. There wasn't really an eleven, so we'd have a twelve, just a twelve twenty one, um, and then a thirty nine. And so I remember, yeah. I think the lowest gear we had in the Jura was thirty nine twenty five, actually. Yeah, but that got, time the climb were less, were less steep. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> we just went up them slower, mate. It's like weight training. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um so I mean what about the gear the gearing now is amazing isn't it I mean it's great the yeah. gearing is amazing for actually other people coming into the sport uh you know it gives them access it makes a lot of terrain a lot more easier doesn't it for a lot of people then they've got e-bikes and stuff like that but um are you a fan of the the, the kind of new ratios now or do you prefer like a closer knit set of gears 
Uh, I, I, I like all the all the gear up now, all the all the cassette. The only thing I I would change for professional cyclists is that you can choose your own. Like you remember, if you remember in the past, the cassette was made one by one. Yes. So at the end, you just have your own. Like I remember when I was doing cyclocross, I was changing gears continuously. Yeah. And depending from the race, so you always change. Maybe the race where a lot of climbing, you put a thirty or oh no, at the time it was only twenty eight or twenty nine. Thirty doesn't exist. Didn't exist at the time. Yeah. Uh, and you could change the all, all your basically your cassette. You can change your cassette continuously. Maybe one day you put eleven, one day you put even a thirteen. If mm. you know you didn't need uh, the eleven. The only thing I would change now is that coming back into that system somehow, because now with a super light cassette, of course, they need to be there from one block or maximum two. Yeah. So you don't have this this freedom to to choose your own gears. Yeah. Yeah. No, that I I used to. I remember my my dad used to do it for me. But yeah, it, it's um it's only quite recently that you could um um yeah like SRAM is just one it's one piece of metal, isn't it? Just just machined. You know, it is yeah, amazing. Yeah, of course. If if you want the lightness, there is no many ways you can go. Yeah. Because at the end, at the end, you just they just try to to fit everything on one single piece, so they can put all the material who does is not need away. Yeah. So at the end, you need to you need to like pick one of the two. Yeah, I mean, let's give a bit of a shout out to your, you know, obviously to the UEE team. You're, you're riding on Colnago bikes. You've ridden on Specialized for most of your, a lot of your career, of course, with that with, um, yeah, with mostly. Patrick Lefebvre. But what's it like jumping on a Colnago night? Because they're a beautiful bike, aren't they? Do you, yeah. I take, I take. Obviously, you've got to say the right thing, but let they are good bikes, aren't they? No, no, no. They, they are really good. We, uh, I race now on a V3. Actually, I never raced on a Colnago before this year. Never yeah. got a Colnago. Yeah. Before. So that was, that's my first year properly from when I was a kid doing cyclocross, everything, never got a Colnago. Uh, I was impressed. Like it's still keeping like a kind of classical touch, but the bike is really good. Yeah. And, and I really like it. Yeah. It is one of the, uh, again, it's nice. It must be nice for you to ride on an Italian bike, but there's a real, there's a real kind of heritage kind of feel about it. They've got a real kind of history, haven't they? Uh, like a yeah. lot of the Italian brands, which must be nice for you. Yeah, yeah, no, it's really nice. Actually, I know also Ernesto in person. Yeah. So, so when he knew I came in the team, so he called me, ah, I'm really happy you are on my bike finally. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that, that was nice also to have a call from Mr. Conago is always, you know, like he's a kind of god in, yeah. in cycling. And everywhere you go, everybody knows. Colnago is a kind, yeah. one of the one of the Italian brands that uh, go over over the borders and over the sport itself. A lot yeah. of people has a Colnago just because it's Colnago. Yeah, it's like a kind of Ferrari for the for the bicycle. Definitely. I mean, if you could, I've asked you about your own. If you could design a race, so if you could have, if you a custom Colnago, what color scheme would you go for? Color. Would you? Yeah. How would would you have it? Would you like a particular paint job on it? Would you have like the Simpsons drawn on it? One of my friends had the Simpsons drawn all over his bike. Would you? What would you go for if money was no object? So, uh, so Ernesto maybe. calls you. He says, "Matteo, uh, we're going to make you a custom bike, and we're going to paint it for you. What do you want on it? What's your answer?" I don't know. Normally, I, I like a lot to see, like you know, like, you know, on social media, like especially on Instagram. I follow a lot of artists to because I, I like like paintings and stuff. But I, I'm really bad in that, so that's why I'm following. Uh, I have no idea. I, I would probably go into a deep research on what I really like to do on my bike. Yeah. But probably some Arabic stuff, maybe one of the tube only, and the rest okay. I will leave it. Uh, I will leave it with a nice Colnago, big. Big, uh, big, you know, like big strip like Colnago there, and something on the fork. That's for sure. Okay, okay. But the bike it would be a C sixty four. A C sixty four. Well, well. Yeah. Hopefully, if he's listening, he's maybe writing this down. Um, uh, obviously, after we've recorded it. I uh, hope. Of course. Uh, if you're listening, <laughs> take notes, please, and then call me because I still need to decide the color. <laughs> uh, yes, of just course, made it so that would be good. <laughs> Definitely. So, okay, couple of quick questions here for you. Um, best day on the bike. Ever. I mean, obviously, you've had a few, few. You've got lots of amazing results. You've won stages in every Grand Tour, you know, uh, etc. But what is the the day that sticks in your butt in your uh, mind when you thought you had amazing legs? Uh, uh, racing wise, yeah, racing wise, uh, yeah. Uh, ra- racing, racing wise, it's a day where I didn't win. It was in Plouay, two thousand and nineteen. Okay, uh, we got over the first gravel section. I got a flat tire. 
but I didn't really see that it was a flat tire. So it took me a little bit to find out that the, because the air was going out uh, little by little. So I finished the sector, I went on the asphalt, passed through the, all, the whole Masor line. And when it was almost finished, I found out I was a flat tire. So I had to turn back, go to the guy, he didn't even see me coming. So I probably lost one and a half minute, even more. And I managed to come back in the first group. So that, that was actually a day where I, where I say, shit, that could be a victory. But with this flat tire and all the thing, it's happened. Probably if I change my, my, my wheel straight away of the, of the gravel, it wouldn't be that bad. Not yeah. like going 100 meters in front and coming back and say, hey, mate, I'm here. We are here. <laughs> <But> <laughs> no, so no, that, I don't need the model. I need the wheel. But yeah, yeah that, day, that day, I think it was my best day of, uh, on the bike. It's, that's really interesting because I'm looking at that that race. Obviously, we can now on the computer. And then you went to the Tour of Britain. And then in the road stages, and then seven road stages, your worst was ninth. <laughs> third, yeah. first, fifth, ninth, third, 13th in the TT, second, third, second overall. So, yeah, you're in good form. You had good legs. <laughs> yeah, I got good legs. Uh- Unlucky for me, I found uh, Matthew Van Der Poel with better legs that, that week. That's, yeah, like, yeah, that's that must be uh, yeah to come up against him. That, I mean, what what can you do? I mean, uh, there's not much you can really say about that. But uh, and then of course the World Championships. I know it must be hard for you to talk about about the World Championships. No, but that, not really. Not I mean, really. It, it is what it is. But it, 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 I was I was there. I it, I was uh, watching uh, along with everybody else in that awful weather. It looked it looked so so hard. Just the I mean the, the the course was obviously hard, but the conditions were brutal, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. The, the condition condition I think it was one of the one of the hardest I ever experienced as a bike rider. Yeah, probably probably harder than that. You can you can mention the two Milano Sanremo, the one with the snow and the one with the rain. Yeah, but because of the length, probably more than than the hardness of the race, the length in the rain and the cold for sure took its toll. But I think Yorkshire, it's standing properly on the podium. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, what about, so best day on the bike we've talked about. Um, what about the, the, the day that you suffered the most in your career? I mean, again, uh, thing is, the thing is with pro riding, there, there's a lot of suffering in cycling, isn't there? Pretty much every race you suffer. But what's the day that yeah. sticks in your mind the most? The, the day I went home from the Tour de France 2017, Okay. Uh, we did like it was like I don't I don't remember the region actually. Uh, we did uh, Col de la Biche, Col de Biche or something like this. Okay. And I see the air attacking the down and it was wet with actually quite a bad asphalt. And all the I always leave in this kind of condition. I always leave a little safety gap in front of yeah. me because actually I'm, I'm good in down so I don't need to be strict in the wheel. Especially with someone attacking, you never know what's happening in this kind of condition. Yeah. But all the climbers was panicking because I was leaving like this 50-meter gap. And they were just passing me to get in the gap. But we were quick and they were sprinting. So at the end, one guy sprinted a little bit too much. And he just crashed the guy in front because he couldn't break. Okay. And we went all down. And I hit my left hip on the, on the ground. that I already crashed uh, three or four days before in sprint. Okay. So basically, I couldn't pattern until the bottom of Col de la Biche. I did completely alone from there to the finish and it was 110k to go oh my god and i finished two minutes and a half over the time cut uh, this was in chambery yeah. this was to chambery wasn't it when rigoberto ran on the stage i remember yeah god, i arrived when the finish line they were uh, basically dismantling the finish line they were taking away i said oh there is one rider still <laughs> it was 45 minutes later or something brutal but honestly speaking maybe it was better that i went home <laughs> yeah i couldn't walk for three days then yeah, that, that 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 does happen, does it? What okay? What about um, of all your career wins, which is this was the sweetest victory? Which do you look back on with the most, the most uh, pride? European Championship in Glasgow. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I broke my rib in January, I broke my spine in Paris Roubaix that year. Of course, yeah, yeah. And it was my actually I came back in uh, in Rhodesia, in Basque Country for one day race, then I did Poland, and then I did the European. And yeah. actually it was like main plan for the day after I, I broke my spine in Roubaix to get back and be in shape for the European to try to win the race. And I actually su- succeed. And actually the podium is pretty nice. Yeah. So <laughs> on the top, Van der Poel on the right and Van Aert on the left. Not happy because I'm on top. <laughs> <laughs> 
Not many as that picture, eh? <laughs> uh, no, I was going to say because, and it was that was a that was a tough day. I mean, I remember watching it. It was obviously up in Scotland in Glasgow. Um, bad weather, and really, it was almost like a comess, wasn't it? That the course was so so technical, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Take on the almost. It was like a comess. Even yeah. even a little bit too much for for a professional bike race because it was really cornering and twisting and turning all the time. But on the other hand, I have to say, as a national team, we race really good. Yeah. So we started in the front, we sit in the front, we pull the whole day, and it was still the all-style European Championship because now it's only around 170 and 180 k. It was 240. So yeah. it was a long day on the saddle. It wasn't cold because the temperature was still quite nice, but it was raining from kilometer zero to the end. And when you look for, I mean, what are you, 31 now? So in a couple of years, the World Championships is back in Glasgow. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the yeah. World Road Championships. So that's going to, that could be interesting. So you never know, you've been, you know, European champion in Glasgow. Why not world champion in Glasgow, mate? Why not? Why not? It could be nice. could be <laughs> but, nice. Then, then I can have a lot of Scottish whiskey to celebrate. You could, ha- you could have a lot of Scottish whiskey, mate, definitely. But uh, I'll hope, hopefully be there. Hopefully you'll be, you'll be riding for the Italians. I mean, what's it, that's a, a nice question. You know, riding for the, the, in, in the blue jersey, the Italians, you know, um, what, what's it like riding as a team when you're, when you're a protected rider, um, pulling on that blue jersey? That must be a, a really nice feeling because like the world championships, the European championships, increasingly, um, you know, exceptionally prestigious. It must be nice racing for your nation in those events. Yeah, yeah, especially especially in Italy, we have this kind of uh, this kind of blood blood thing on the with the with the azzurro jersey of Italy. Yeah. yeah. And national team, it's especially now in the let's say in the classics. I'm more racing in let's call it the classics uh, classic team. Yeah. Uh, we have a, actually a good bunch of friends. So uh, even if we never race together, uh, I have to say we manage always to pull up uh, the team racing as a, as a trade team. Yeah. So it's something that not, not many other nations can do. They always, you know, juggle around between uh, I want to be the leader, no, I want to be the leader, but if it's like this, I can win also or doing my own thing. And, and we find a really good balance also in the national team. Yeah. So when we get to the race, we have a clear goal to win the race. We know who's the leader. We know who's the alternative, and and we race as a team. So that that's make a really good thing, and and, and I appreciate even more because you don't race with your with the name of your nation uh, many times in a yeah. year. Yeah. And it's one shot. Yeah, of course, of course. Um, right. Question here, um, or a request: Can you for me? Sum up or sum up your team is in one word. So I want you to sum up Quick Step Cycling team in one word, then Mitchelton Scott in one word, then CCT in, in one word, and then UE Team Emirates. So you just have one word. One word. So so Quick Step, so Amiga Farmer, Ethics, um, all the different names. Yeah, one word for your experience in that team and what the team was like for you. Uh, quick Step is hungry. Hungry. Ooh, yeah, that's a good. That's a good word. Good choice. Good choice. Uh, Mitchelton Scott. Uh, I have two here. Okay, go, go on then. I'll give you two. I give you two. Okay, relax. Yeah. Relax. And yeah. Funny. Relaxed and funny. Okay, nice. Funny. That's yeah. nice. Got some good words so far. Uh, CCC. Not enough time. <laughs> Not enough time. <laughs> There's three words there, but I'll give you that. <laughs> Yeah, because that was. No, I, yeah. uh, I mean, no, no votes here. Uh, I didn't have even the time to 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 be the relationship with, with a lot of people there. Of course. So it's, it's difficult to 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 give a word. Oh no! <laughs> I, I, yeah, well, it was a strange year, wasn't it? What a strange year! Yeah. And then, um, obviously, you've only been with this team for a few months, but um, so far, it's obviously going good. So, how would you sum up UEE? Huh, that's a good question because it's not. Much time, so I not uh, I didn't race with a lot of guys already. Still, because I only race with the with the classic team. So of course, yeah. Uh, wait, how do you say in English? Mm, growing. Growing. Okay. So we've got hungry, relaxed, funny, not enough time, growing. That's almost like a sentence, there, isn't it? <laughs> that's, yeah. That's a, <laughs> so I like try that. to mix up the words and maybe come up something nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
I'm sure you could probably come up with a funny sentence there. Matei, probably do a better job than me. Um, we're coming to we're wrapping up soon, mate, but a couple, I've got just a couple more little questions for you. Where in the world is your favourite place to ride your bike? Uh, so let's say I put Italy off the chart because I'm okay. Italian and I don't want to be judged to the guy who only say Italy is the best of the best, even if it's true, sorry. Okay. Um, let's say I, I, I loved, because I was there a couple of times in Lake Tahoe, between okay. California and Nevada. What, 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 why, describe to me why it meant so much. Oh, uh, it's, uh, it's actually, it's a massive lake uh, in altitude, 1,800 meters. And there is like a nice loop around it. The, the water is crystal clear, crystal okay. clear, too many are. Okay. Um, and actually the, there are two big cities where you can feel you are in a kind of uh, city environment, but on the same time you are in the mountains. And, okay. uh, and the funny thing is that last time you we went there for a, for a training camp, you can ski, you can bike, and if you're really brave, you can also swim. Right. Okay. I found one guy swimming. Oh, my God. It's going to be cold, isn't it? Yeah, I I was doing, you know, this uh, ice bath. I was actually doing that in the lake, and this guy was coming, like, swimming. (laughs) Oh, my God. With with a guy actually not helping him, but just looking at it. He didn't didn't draw down up up on a paddleboard. Yeah. And I asked him, why are you swimming here? I don't like the swimming pool. It's boring. I say, okay, but how how is the water? Ah, 70 degrees. (laughs) Good job, mate. (laughs) And and that only that day he did, he told me 10 miles. So it should be around 16K. Wow. That's insane, isn't it? Yeah, properly. (laughs) Yeah, that's not right. That's not right. Um, Who in the past has been, uh, you don't have to answer this, but I think it's 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 a nice question. Who's your messiest roommate? that you've ever shared oh. a room with in all of your career. And you've, you've been with some different riders over, over the years. Yeah, so yeah, who's yeah, the, yeah. who's oh. the, it's like, you're like, Oh my God, really? Who's I cannot, me- I cannot answer because it's probably me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably who? So you, it's probably me all the time. <laughs> are you messy in your, are you me- a messy roommate? Yeah. 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 I, I have my angle of mess. You have I your, you- yeah. I, I take all, when I come in the room, actually, I like always to sleep next to the window. Okay. And, you know, window side, not toilet side, because normally that's the, that's the division of the room. How you divide the room is like window side or toilet side. Okay. And normally because window side, there is always a nice free angle space where you can put a suitcase and a chair and I just throw everything there. Especially okay. when we stay a long time in a hotel, halfway through the stay, I need to reorder all my stuff and then it's a mess again and I reorder when I go. Right. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, uh, that's good. I mean, that's very honest of you to say that you're the messiest roommate. No, I mean, actually, I, I was thinking when I say to someone, mate, please put your shit away, but it never happened before, so probably it's me. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, I guess, because if you, yeah, I guess, yeah. I mean, my, my messiest teammate was Jeremy Hunt. I used to, uh-huh. did, yeah, he was, he just used to empty his suitcase in the corner of the room and it was just this pile. That's what I do. So you 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 just empty your suitcase into the floor. No, the floor. I don't empty it. But when we stay in the hotel for more, you know, like in the classic, we stay fifteen days in the same hotel. At the end, there were more clothing off the suitcase than in the suitcase. So <laughs> probably. Oh god, you'll have to you'll have to send us. Oh, you're at home now, so you can't do that. Maybe I have to send us a photo of one of your messy hotel rooms um, in in the future, mate. But. Oh, okay, I think okay, we've got in the, in, in the future. I think we've got one more random question generator. Yeah, we've got one more, and then we'll random wrap things up. Random question alert! It is time for a random question. <laughs> this is this is this is a good one, actually, uh, Mateo. I hope you like this one. Okay, if animals could talk, okay, mm-hmm. which animal do you think would be the rudest? The rudest. <laughs> Oh, oh. Th- uh, that, yeah. I, I need to think about this one. Yeah, it's no, don't just don't rush, mate. Don't rush. This is a the, it's the last the question. Animal if they can't talk. Is it what? Oh. Sorry. Yeah, probably oh. chickens. Chickens. <laughs> is that, is you that would if- never expect that. No. Actually, ah. all the ma- actually all the male animals, because if you if you burn as a male in the animal world, especially in the farm. Yeah. It's not a good life. No. 
Oh, okay. It can be a super nice life if they keep you alive to do your own thing and make other animals. But then otherwise you're going to be meat for eating. You know it already. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. how it works. <laughs> yeah, so that's a really interesting way of looking at it, Matteo. I must admit, I do like your logic. Uh, I like your logic there. Uh, so are you saying a chicken then? Chicken. You would never expect a chicken to be rude. So probably if, if chicken is it would, rude, be, It would be quite funny. I know we're not going to yeah. swear, but it would be quite funny if a chicken started speaking in Italian or in English and just started swearing at you as you walk past. It'd be weird, wouldn't it? It would be very, very yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think from, I'm going to answer that one as well because I quite like it. Um, I reckon it would be a goat. Okay. Yeah. I just, I've just got a feeling that they would maybe talk about you behind your back or something like that. I think that oh, once maybe. you walked away, they would like take the take the piss a little bit out of you when you walked away. Yeah, I think yeah, they yeah. could. I think a goat could be really weird. Uh, sorry, really rude. Definitely. Definitely. Can be. <laughs> Matteo, thanks for having a lot of fun on the podcast. Today. It's been really, really nice, and hope hopefully people. We'll get a sense a little bit more of, uh, of who you are, what you're up to, etc. And best of luck as well, importantly, for the rest of the year, because there's a lot more racing to come. What's next on the menu for yep. you this year? Uh, normally, it's going to be Tour of Slovenia. So for, uh, for a little bit, I'm out of, uh, of action. I'm going to train for the next five weeks, actually. And, and from there, it's going to be game on until the end of the season. Brilliant stuff. We'll, we'll take care, Matteo, and hopefully see you very, very soon. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for inviting me here. It was pretty fun hour. No, thanks very much, mate. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Great stuff. What a gentleman and a great role model to young riders and human beings in general. Massive thanks to Matteo for taking the time out to chat with me on the podcast. Thanks as ever to Perry App Gwyneth for the podcast theme tune. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe and rate the pod. And why not recommend it to your cycling buddies or to Ernesto Colnago if you see him hand-painting a custom bike for Matteo. Finally, a massive thanks again to Matteo for joining us on the podcast today and being so generous with his time. Cheers all, stay safe, goodbye, and take care.